All right, guys, welcome to this episode of the Corporate Critics Podcast. Today we have with us one of the most talented people I've ever met, Mark Bentcover. Mark, how you doing? <laughs> good. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, I man, was waiting I'm for a good. question. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> So, so Mark, what do you, what do you think about that intro? One of the most talented people I've ever met. I'll take it. You'll take it <laughs> with a grain of salt. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, all compliments are good. <laughs> I mean, especially from people I admire. I admire you. I have very high esteem for you. So, oh man, you it means it means something. It means something coming from you. If some Joe Schmo off the street came out going, "Hey, you're awesome," it's like you don't know me, but thanks, I guess. I don't know. Oh, I appreciate that. So, okay, so, so, Mark, Mark, let's just get right into this. Tell the people a little bit about about you. Never mind. I don't want to tell anybody about you. I just want to go in and start asking questions. About you. So, look, you have a mystery man. We will not ask any questions. You have to guess. <laughs> but, but no, seriously, l- let me start with one thing that's intriguing. Right. How many degrees do you have? Well, so it depends. <laughs> No, the reason it depends is because I had three that were double majors, so I did the extra classes to get the second major. So if you consider a double major two degrees, I have seven. If you do not, I have five. That makes so sense. So we're going to go with considering a double major two degrees. Then I have seven. Okay. So now can you name them? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have an associate's, which and there's an interesting story behind that, but that's um, electronics technology. And then um, I have two a bachelor's in computer engineering, electrical engineering. And then I have a master's in psychology, organization development, MBA, and um, they called it IT infrastructure. But so it was more architecture, really. So infrastructure, architecture, but information technology. Masters. Okay. So now here's the million dollar question. What are you doing today? <laughs> well, if I was to make a movie of my current life, it would be called the worst move ever. So um, the reason I'm on corporate quitters is not um, I didn't quit corporate world, but it quit me. But I might go back to it, but I will still I will approach it from a totally different thing. But we can talk about that later. So what I do now is uh, I moved to North Carolina for a job. And after 90 days, and if you don't know this in corporate America, this is why you should quit corporate America and be yourself, even if you work for a corporation. For most corporations in America, there's a 90-day clause. And the 90-day clause says that either party, either your employer or the employee, can um, send, rescind the employment contract without any penalty and without cause. So that's what they did. At 80, 89 days, they said, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya after having moved my family here to North Carolina. So what I'm doing now is like, I've always, I know this is a long answer and I apologize, but I've always been split between, if you look at all my degrees, technology and psychology and all that kind of stuff, and then my creative side, but I think I'm creative over here in engineering too. But what people call creative are like the arts, music, writing, movies, that kind of thing. So that creative side, actually it was over there, that creative side, Um, I'm trying to generate uh, passive and active income in that. So I'm focusing on writing videos and uh, my music right now. So that's what I do. Um, and hopefully 
my doing and making money will join together sometime in the future. <laughs> so, so essentially you've taken bits and pieces from the different seven degrees and kind of put them in a pot like gumbo and created this life where you're trying to make money off of all of your gifts and talents. Yes. And the interesting thing, aside from the, um, I'd say aside from the electronics technology, the associate degree, all of my degrees have been acquired by me developing an interest or curiosity in my working life. And then I go, gosh, I need to know more about that. And I'm not finding out more as this job. So I'm going to go get a degree in it. And then also I'm susceptible to good salespeople. So all the universities I went to had really good salespeople. So my four masters, the conversation kind of went like this. I'd be in industry and I go, gosh, wow, we had this organizational psychologist come in. That was really interesting. I want to know more about that. So I'd go to the university and I'd go, hey, I just want to take like two, three courses in organization psychology or development. Can I do that? And then the registrar person would go, well, you know, if you just take six more courses and do a thesis project, you could have a master's. And that was how I got my first master's. I'm like, okay, I'll take six more classes and do a thesis, whatever. And then the other three were kind of like that too. Well, that's not true. Two of them were like that. The MBA was because at the time when I got my MBA, MBA was kind of like uh, bachelor's degrees today. Every, yeah, kind of had one. Had to have one in corporate America in order to move up. I've never used. I already knew most of the stuff I learned in my MBA. Yeah, I never way. really used anything I learned in school because I already knew the stuff from working in corporate America. If that makes any sense. You know, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I actually got my MBA late in life, and I can say that I learned absolutely nothing in the program. And uh, and, and you know, I won't derail us for long. That's okay. But it's okay if you do. Was, <laughs> I had recruiters calling me and saying. Well, you know, you have a lot of experience, but you don't have an MBA. And I promise you, the day after I got the piece of paper, the same recruiters, well, we see you have an MBA on your resume. And I'm thinking, but, but I was the same person. I know, I yesterday. know. But, but let me go back to something you said that I, I found quite funny because I just want to talk about it for a minute. <laughs> you said that you were susceptible to good salespeople. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to be, I want to be one. So, a lot, a lot, well, Think about it. a lot of people when you say salesperson, they think um, like used car, the typical used car salesman or like a, a multi-level marketing. By the way, I've done multi-level marketing. There's nothing wrong with multi-level marketing. There's nothing wrong really? with foreign exchange. There's nothing wrong with Bitcoin. But most people that are doing it, I'm sorry if I offend people, but it's the truth. You suck salespeople because the best salesman read actually you did a great thing on sales and I actually commented on it. I said, you were only missing one thing, but the great salespeople don't sell you. They look for a problem. They present a story that says, Hey, if you have this problem, there are solutions out there. And then the very best, best ones. That was the thing that you're missing in yours. I actually just learned this from Eric Edmides. He's the guy. Um, oh, what's his company? Wildfit. So he's like a multimillionaire. He's got a bunch of businesses, but he started off with Wildfit. But he has this thing called Inception Marketing. It was so freaking interesting. Have you seen the movie Inception? Yes. Yeah, I love that movie. So basically, this marketing is based on Inception. So if you haven't seen Inception, basically, it's kind of science fiction fantasy. But uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and other people um, basically create a new reality for a person. 
and it's like a fake reality. It's in their mind. They get in their mind and they do all these situations to try to get them to insert thoughts and thought patterns and desires into them through this inception. That's what it's called. So inception marketing is the same thing. You never go, like you said, you don't go to the product and service. You don't push it. You go, hey, do you have this problem? Or you just do a general problem, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you offer little bits and pieces of solutions to that. And then eventually, if you do it well, people will come to you. And the, the best part of this is you don't do any sales. The only sales you do, I'm sorry, I'm pointing. <laughs> but uh, the only sales you really do is you get, once you created your authority and people believe are believable, and yes, I have that problem or I want that opportunity, all you do is you give them like five to 10 things of what to look for for someone to provide that product and service without mentioning you without focusing on you so that they can go, you know, find that person. And then if they really research that and they believe your authority, they believe your problem, guess who meets those five to 10 things? Right, exactly. You do, and they come to you. Or if there's someone else, they go to them. But most of the time, they'll come to you. And then the sales conversation, like you, isn't one of your points you said, ask for the sale? Yep. So Absolutely. all this inception stuff, you don't even have to ask for the sale. They're coming to you. But one of the things in yours that's most important that he says, it's like, here's where people fail. So even after doing inception marketing and all that well, and people come to you, they forget to tell the people what to do and what's going to happen. Yeah. So the asking for the sale and inception marketing isn't really asking for the sale. They come to you and they want your service. You're going, okay, here's how it works. It costs this much money. You go to the website, you click this button. When you click that button, it's going to ask for payment information and some other information. Once you do that, you'll get an immediate receipt from email from me going, thank you very much, blah, blah, blah. Then within a day, I'll give you all the, I'll send you another email that has all the kind of service. And then you'll get service over the next six months. You can expect it's that kind of thing because yeah. people need to be, they're already in inception marketing and kind of like yours too. I think you had the same framework. Anyways, there was a whole diatribe about salespeople. So I'm susceptible to good salespeople and good salespeople to me are like that. They look at me and they go, oh, this guy said he wants just two or three courses, but ah, that means he's really interested in this subject. So if I present the opportunity that just with six more courses, um, by the way, they also see I'm kind of a snot and that I like to be an authority on things like almost every subject matter. I have to become an expert. Can I learn Six Sigma? No, I have to become a Six Sigma Master Black Belt. <laughs> so I can't just learn Six Sigma. Oh, can I be just a lean practitioner? No, I got to go get certified by, by um, Society of Manufacturing Engineers, um, AQS, and Shingo. All kind of, so that anyway, so they see that. And then the way they present it, it's like, hey, well, I got an opportunity for you. Not only can you take those two to three courses you want to take, but if you take six more courses, and do a thesis project in this area that you're very interested in and you want to be an expert in, you can get a master's and people will go, oh, he knows some shit about that. So that's so what you, I mean by good salespeople. You did that seven times. But you know, his was really interesting. So so you did that seven times. Uh, well, not necessarily. Technically, yeah. Technically, two yeah. of the times they did it. So, so between <laughs> five or seven different degrees. But, but, but you also play several instruments too. Oh, yeah. And music is my life. I, I I kind of backed off on the extremity of that because I I used to tell my parents, hey, if I ever go deaf, just shoot me. Because <laughs> then I didn't want to think music. But then, but I thought, 
one of my favorite musicians and composers of all time is Beethoven. And he Beethoven. wrote my favorite symphony yeah. when he was completely deaf. So I'm like, yep. okay, don't shoot me. I'll just figure that out. <laughs> so, so what are the instruments? So my number one instrument. So first of all, my number one forte in music is writing and producing. So I write really, I'm a really good songwriter. Um, I can tell that because people have actually stolen my songs and gotten radio hits. But that's another story. Wait. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's my stupidity. And if we get, if we have enough time, I'll tell that story. It's actually a pretty good one. But so composing and recording, I have my own recording studio. Uh, um, it used to be Pro Tools based, and now it's uh, now it's Cubase. There's a reason for that too. But my number one instrument is guitar. Then uh, keyboards. I would call myself a rhythm keyboardist. Mm -hmm. I could give it enough atmosphere. I know how to play, but I wouldn't be like a. And this is aging me because I can't think of any virtuoso rock piano players recent. Because to me. I think Elton John is one of the best rhythm yeah. keyboardists on the fatest of the planet in history, but he's not a good like solo guy. So a good um, solo guy, like in my genre and my timing would be Keith Emerson or Rick Wakeman or people or like that, people like that. So I don't know any same on me because I can't think of any current guys, but so I'm not that I'm a rhythm, give it a good feel, you know, do like uh, sticks music or, um, yeah, anyway. And then my third one is bass. And then um, I'm learning the drums now. Uh, but the software and programs I have on drums makes it sound so good that I program drums. But I, I'm trying to learn with the sticks, but yeah. I'm not really good. And also, I want a, a cup. I think it's called a cajon. I want to get one of those, too. That's those things. It's a square thing to sit on it. You hit well, I don't know what that is. Wow. Oh, so so did, you teach, did you teach yourself to play all these instruments? <laughs> um, let's say I had some lessons and uh, I have impulse control and um, very limited attention. So I would take a couple lessons and then I'd go learn myself. So guitar is actually the funniest, I think. Um, so the way I learn guitar, swear to God, my mom was really cool. She just passed a couple of years ago. I miss her. But um, so she got me guitar lessons with this guy, Howie Mandel from our temple. Not the comedian, but his sort of guy's name was all in it. So I took a couple of lessons from him. And Howie, if you're still alive and you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't mean any derogatory. You'll know what I mean now. But I thought he wasn't a very good teacher. He wasn't a very good guitar player. And he'd been playing for six years. So Snot Nose Little Marky said, Oh, you know what? Mom, don't pay for any mess lessons. Let's just get a few. Uh, at that time, like Mel Bay was big. Just get me six Mel Bay books, and I'll teach myself. And then I'll start learning songs, and I'll start doing that. And so, yeah, I learned. I said, you know what? I'm going to quit Howie, and in six months, I'm going to be better than him, who's been playing for six years. And I was. And then I met this friend of mine. I worked at the movie theater, sub-minimum wage, because somehow – some political person probably in movie theater chains um, got uh, ushers and candy and cashiers for movies. Somehow they got them classified as like a wait staff. Oh. So that in that time you had to prove the, you get tips up to minimum yeah. wage, but no one, the government never asked you to prove it. So we got a dollar 87 an hour. <laughs> I think the minimum wage at the time was like three sixty five. but anyway, um, but I, that's how I met this friend of mine. He's one of my best friends still. 
and he was a really good guitarist. He was like, he was already in bands. He's always playing. He's a virtuoso. And he gave me this, uh, his teacher. And so I went to his teacher and it was, he was a um, classical teacher and I learned how to sight read and do all that kind of stuff. So, but most, mostly I taught myself. I taught myself recording. I taught myself all that. Yeah. But, and then so after teaching yourself all of that or while teaching yourself all of that, you've written a bunch of songs like the lyrics and the music and recorded and released uh, quite a few songs as well, right? Oh yeah, I've written probably, I uh, lost count, but probably 300 songs. And then I'm um, like, okay, I don't mean this. He's my favorite musician. So I'm not saying I'm as good as him. I'd say I have a similar style of recording as him. So I'm kind of like Prince where I record all my sessions. And so I have 300 complete songs, but I have like probably thousands of ideas that I've recorded, whether it's a riff or it's like a combination of piano part and guitar that I can go back to at some point and go, can I make that a song? Yeah, but, but I have that recorded hundreds of Where are these for sale? We've got to put these things up for sale, man. Where are they? Oh, so I only have a few for sale on EOCstudios.com. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to figure out I'm going to either work with CD Baby or Musical Gateway. Musical Gateway is out of Europe. I'm trying to figure out which one's better. But what they do is a really cool service, and they will um, help you with your album art and all that kind of stuff. And then once you get all their stuff on their system, obviously you have to pay them, they will put them out all like in Apple Music, Amazon Music, mm -hmm. to make them available on sites like that. So that's my goal for my music. But right now you can buy a few songs. Um, you can buy an EP, or I think I have like six songs on EOCstudios.com, and it, it's representative of some of the stuff I do. But yeah, I just have to figure out what I want to sell and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, right. you can buy it there. So, so for the folks listening, now do you understand when I said <laughs> the most talented people that I know, but we're not done yet because <laughs> you've been in some movies too. Yeah, I act. <laughs> yes, so I like to tell the Inception story of that. So wait, wait, do you the... still have an active SAG card? No, no, I don't. Oh, I let it go like ten years ago. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so yeah. So, well, it's a really. I know it seems like I have a pretty strong ego, but I actually don't. It's a really abusive business, and you think that cast. I'm offending everybody right and left, but you think that casting directors uh, would be some of the most creative people on the face of the planet? They're most some of the most least creative. And so what I mean, so my biggest, two biggest roles here, I, here's how I got them. One I got because I looked like a younger version of the star of the movie and when they did flashbacks, so I got it because I looked like somebody. The other uh, next biggest role I got because I'm from Chicago. So at that time, like John Cusack, John Malkovich, Brian Dennehy, um, Gary Sinise, all those were like the big actors and they're all like Chicago actors. And so I go into the audition, swear to God, the casting director <laughs> goes, uh, give us some Chicago. And I'm like, he didn't say it like that, but that would be my Chicago response. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, just show us your Chicago. And so unintentionally, because I had been, that was probably my, 35th audition without getting any gigs. And so I was just like totally frustrated. So I'm like, oh, what the F? 
blah, 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 do you mean? But and then he's like, that's it. That's it. And that's how I got the job. Not because I was doing any acting thing, but because of the way I reacted. I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, all right, if that's what you want. And by the way, as you can see, White Sox, Cubbies. I'm a Chicago guy. And Rob said I had the pick. So unfortunately, sorry, Cub fans. But if I had to pick. Ooh. <laughs> but I like Cubs too. <laughs> all right. So how, how many movies have you been in? Or do, the, do you include student films? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, uh, so so I always say um, I got most of my jobs outside of LA and San Francisco, but there was a two oh. and a half year period where I went to San Francisco and LA to try to make it. And so when I lived in LA, I lived in Studio City, and I would drive down the side streets of UCLA and just offer my services to uh, people in the the um, film program. So I've been probably in a thousand student films. And like I always say, nothing against all you aspiring directors that went to school when I was in your films, but I hope none of you make it because most of those films, I don't want people to see the light of day because I sucked in them. Um, but actual like big movies probably as an extra and other stuff, I don't know, probably like 10, I guess. And then probably 20 um, TV shows uh five commercials and then lots of plays were my most of them oh wow wow and then i was in a cable um comedy series for like a year that was fun wait wait i, I didn't know about a cable comedy series yeah it was access so this is before you know like cable was so huge but access yeah. you know the access channel you know yeah. like wayne and garth they're they say they were on an access channel okay we were on one of those <laughs> like a local Chicago and Seattle, I was both. Uh, well, yeah, it, it must have been pretty decent if it lasted a year. I mean, it, it, oh no, you don't. So you don't understand. And and access all the they want warm bodies and they want filler. Almost think of bad Netflix stuff. But I thought I thought first of all I thought the show was excellent. Let's go there. But you didn't have to be good, is my point, because they wanted they just wanted content. So if you were breathing and you could produce a show like weekly, they're like, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that's called big TV. It's pretty good. All right. So so now you've you 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 have a bunch of different degrees. You uh you play a bunch of different instruments and you're an actor, but you also write music and I think you may write movies too or, or screenplays or scripts or something. I write everything. Okay. So I got a book go. coming out. I got a book coming out in August. That's a nonfiction book called the 90 day challenge. So I, I think you were there. So it was one of those uh, weekly sessions with growth Academy. I'm not going to be so, in the book. Am I, if I was there? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm you were there when Chris Hummel laid down the gauntlet, but apparently I'm the only one that took it on or heard it. But uh, so both I met Rob in growth Academy. And so growth Academy is led by Shanae Moray. Awesome person. Congratulations on a million followers. I, that just blows my mind. I can't. A million followers. Wow. Right. Um, <laughs> hey, remove. Move four zeros, multiply by two. You got me. <laughs> Wait, did you just figure that out in your head? Like uh, that? Huh. So, um, yeah. Um, oh, actually, I think you only move. No. No, you move three zeros. Sorry. Three zeros, multiply by two. Point I'm still carrying five. one. 
I know, I'm yeah. Trying to figure out what you just did. So yeah, but unless he has these weekly sessions at Growth Academy, and I think you're there. And so there, I can't remember someone asked a question or whatever, but she started talking about one of the most important things is consistency. So if you're on LinkedIn and that's your platform of choice, and you consistently post content every day, whether it's video or writing, and she has actually upped the ante recently and said two to three times per day, separated by like four hours or whatever. So I'm trying to aspire to that too. But at that time, it was just develop a consistent habit. And Chris Hummel, um, kind of her sidekick, I don't understand that because he was her mentor, but then she became bigger or something and now she mentors him or I'm not sure how that works. But anyways, she always um, asked for Chris input and he's this extremely quiet guy. I love Chris, he's pretty awesome, but it's kind of like, well, so consistency, um, yeah, what you should do is maybe pick like a 90 day period and then you post every something every day, no matter how short or long, whatever, you post something every day and that will be consistent and then people will see that and then you can build an audience. So I took that as like 90 day challenge. And so that was my first 90 day challenge. And so that's where the book came from because I learned a lot about myself in that 90 day challenge. So you, even if you don't build an audience, which I didn't really, and there's reasons for that, it's because I don't know how to assess what works and what doesn't. I'm working on that. But in that 90 days, I think it was day like 40 or so, there was like four people from Growth Academy and then four people in my outside network all at once basically said, you know what, you write pretty well. Have you ever, here's how um, gullible or, this is why good salespeople always sell me. So, so eight people told me I'm a good writer. Have I ever thought of writing for a living? And then that idea came to my head, oh, writing for a living, that'd be freaking awesome. Because about 10 years earlier, I wrote a novel and I shopped it over a hundred times to different agents, publishing houses and, all, and got rejected. But the best part and nothing, just so you know, you mispronounced my name, but that worked for me because every rejection letter I had all over a hundred and I got copies of them. They mentioned at least three things consistently and then their other fluff. But one was you're a good writer. Two is a police procedural and they go, we're really not looking for more police procedurals with a male protagonist and a male author. We're looking for female. I almost did a um, like a pen name, became a woman and changed it. But it wouldn't work for this book, so I said screw it. Anyway, so that. And then the third thing, great, great last name for an author. So if you mispronounce my last name, Bent Cover, it is a great name for an author, but it's actually Bent Cover. But that's okay. Uh, oh, and then a the fourth thing is they'd always refer me to like my next lead. Like here's a pub publisher you might want to contact or here's an agent you might want to contact. So that happened about a hundred times. It was pretty amazing, but I just got like, you know, what? this isn't going to happen. Um, and then recently my, for me shopping this current nonfiction book, I realized the error of my ways. So for most publishing, especially back then, which was mostly traditional publishing, you only go to a publisher or agent. You only need one chapter and then a synopsis. Yeah. And then a good like promotional letter. That's it. They don't want the whole book. And here's why. And this is why my nonfiction book, I'm probably gonna do hybrid publishing. But if you do traditional publishing, they're still kind of caught in their traditional publishing thing. I think the publishing industry probably in the next five to 10 years is gonna go the way of the newspaper. Yep. They're gonna, they need to completely change, but they're still trapped in their old ways. And so you, it could take a year to two years, even after they accepted you and said, yes, we're gonna publish your book yep. to publish your book. 
And it's because they want like ultimate control. They take at least 50 to 75% of the take. Um, they want their editors, they want to mold it and build it. So by the time it comes out, yeah, sure, it's your idea or whatever, but a lot of it is theirs too. So that's why I'm going to do hybrid. I want my control over my text. But back to the 90-day challenge, I decided to write a book about that experience. And this is how everything happens in my life. Um, so I wrote it. I completed the first final draft. I found an editor I liked, rightway.com. That's right, rightway.com. <laughs> Joe Tower, great guy. Anyway, I sent it to him. He was the leader of the editing team. <laughs> they took a month, which they told me. It's like, it's going to take about a month. So a month to five weeks later, it comes back. And, you know, they do all the usual thing. Hey, you might want to use this word. Hey, this point, you know, I don't know what you're trying to say here. But the biggest editorial comment was, they go, hey, I know you wrote those models of how to break an old habit, create a new habit, and achieve a goal. And I know that was tertiary. Like you originally started off with a 90 post, then your diary about what you experienced in those 90 posts. And then the, the model was kind of like you pooped it out. Hey, here's a model. Hey. <laughs> so he's going, we think this has a potentially large market, but you got to flip it. So they wanted me to rewrite it and focus on the model of creating a new, breaking an old habit, creating a new habit, and um, uh, achieving a goal. And then when he said it, it made total sense. Yeah. But I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, ah, crap. I got to rewrite that book. <laughs> yes, I thought I was like close. I thought it would like, they give me the editing comments. I would take a week and I'd be done. Oh, yeah. I, I, I put all your editing comments. Here you go. Oh, by the I way, I blame you for that. Think, right? <laughs> I blame that's you. what we all think when we go on writing projects. Okay. Well, I know, but you yeah. and um, Hamid and, uh, oh, yeah, I wrote a book. And then you were like, okay, this is maybe how I heard it. This might not be how you said it. But what I heard from you, Hamid, and like several other people that are authors. It's like, oh, yeah, I just took my content from somewhere else. I, like, plopped it in Word. I rearranged it a little. And I had a book and I published. <laughs> what I didn't know is most of them were, like, ebooks, And I'm like, because that was my expectation, though. That was my expectation. Now, mine wasn't an ebook though. Huh? Mine wasn't an ebook. I took actual yeah. training courses and okay. just, you know, built-in stories to okay. make books. So mine was right. a little more complicated than that. Okay. Yeah, I know. But that's what I'm I heard with... and that's what I expected. And then this <laughs> no, happened uh, I'm like... Dang, but, but then I later found idea. out, oh, it's an ebook, and you know. Yeah, no, the direction they took you in, though, I, I get it because it's more a uh, self-help book. To, yeah, to exactly. That's what they said. And, yeah, no, I, I get that. That's that makes you, a lot of sense. I'm like going, oh, okay. Now for but you, now, I mean, I'm work. rewriting it. I'm about a third of the way through, but I still uh, plan to be done by the end of the month. The end of the month. Because I'm a third of the things, way yeah. through of the actual writing, but I spent two weeks like thinking around it. It's like, okay, what is this going to look like? How do I do that? It's like, okay. So every um, chapter, so the model is how can you, re can you relate? And then obviously it's an acronym. So there, R means resistance, E means, you know, stuff like that. So all the way. I'm not gonna, but, <laughs> but so I have to go back and go, okay, now. Yeah. So I actually had a new chapter. So I redid the preface. I've written a new chapter, which introduces the model. And by the way, in the book, so uh, one of the things in my background, and this is not to impress people, but I've taught at three different universities for 20 years. So, and I kind of let that go a year ago, only because I moved away. I like teaching in a physical classroom, not online, but I've done both. 
And I'll probably get back to that uh, when I figure out where I'm going to land for a long time. But in the teaching, the, the simplest teaching model or training model, I mean, there's lots of there and there's more to it, but it's tell the audience what you're going to tell them, yep. tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So just a repetition to solidify it in your mind. I mean, there's a lot else to it. And I actually say that in the book. And so he used my own words against me. He goes, you know, in that chapter <laughs> where you say, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's what you should do with the model. So I wrote the first chapter, which is actually chapter zero, is introducing the model lightly. And then each of the chapters is, there's a chapter on each of the letters of the acronym. And then there's an epilogue kind of thing. And it still has all the posts of the 90 challenge. So that's kind of like a ancillary fun thing because a lot of those posts are fun. And it still has the diary of my experience going through the 90 day challenge. And I already have the next few books in my head. Um, yeah. So, so how how do you think your background in acting, music, playing music, writing music, how do you think that helped you to actually be a better writer? Oh, that's easy. Um, I can't, thousands of people have said it, but actually, I don't know if you know who Dennis Lehane is. He's one of my favorite authors. So he wrote like Mystic River and a bunch of other books that are really good. I think he wrote Gone Girl too. Yeah, so those two, people know them because they were made into movies, but his other stuff's awesome too. He's a great writer. Anyways, I went to a reading of his. Was it for Mystic River? I can't remember what book it was, but you know, a reading they do like a, the author shows up and you go to a bookstore and they read a chapter or something and they emphasize where they want to emphasize. And then at the end of it, um, he go he had a Q&A. This guy was one of the most generous people. And he was already famous and big. And he was very generous at the time. So he had Q&A. And then it ended up being me and like three other aspiring authors. And he spent, it must have been like an hour and a half with us. And it was like a writing masterclass. It was like amazing. But I mean, many people have said it, but I heard it. I finally heard it in my heart from him. He goes, you want to be an interesting writer? Lead an interesting life. So I think where all this stuff happens is I can write about almost anything because I've done it before. I've struggled with it. And so now I can write about it. And plus I have a pretty creative mind, but I can use that to inform it, even if it's a different character or whatever. So, so do you prefer fiction or nonfiction and why? It's uh, a great question. I should say nonfiction because that's what my next book is going to be. But I prefer fiction. And the reason why is I think you can have as great an impact in fiction. But it's kind of like, a, it's almost like a Trojan horse. So people, a lot of people enjoy, more people enjoy reading fiction than nonfiction. And so you could also already teach people life lessons in a Trojan horse. And one of my favorite books is Native Son. And that author, Trojan Horse. I mean, if he could teach a white Jewish guy who, yeah, we started off poor, but then we were pretty middle class for most of my life. If he could teach me, like, touching in my heart. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of racism against Jews. But, like, I told, uh, I think I told Michael Dillard this. We can hide. We can choose to hide. Because I have white skin. And all my life, people thought, oh, they, I, I don't know if you've heard wasp, but. People yeah. considered me a wasp, even though they didn't know shit about me. Um, and actually, that was a really good story, if we have time for it, in a um, diversity class I took in corporate America. It was really interesting. Anyway, so that book, Trojan Horse Me, 
to completely viscerally understanding um, racism against Black Americans. And, you know, I think that's a good point that you make because I've never thought about it like that. You know, most nonfiction books, you're there to to learn. That's why you pick yeah, yeah, it up. Yeah. But with fiction, you can be entertained as well yep. as learn at the same yep. time. That's a, I've never thought about it like that. Uh, and not all authors approach it that way, but I would approach my fiction like that. There's got to be some lessons in there. Yeah. yeah. But the weird thing about books, even nonfiction and fiction, is people wrap their own uh, perception around it. And, you know, like I've had... Um, like I like neurolinguistic programming a lot. And like, so there's people who read like the frog to a prince and then they never took any classes in LP, never knew much about it. And yet they're claiming to apply. And then they reference NLP and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is neither the intent nor the way that was meant. That is not NLP, but they'll wrap their own thing and they'll, They'll like their pretty baby. Oh, this is my pretty little NLP model. And this is what I'm going to do. Look, it isn't. And then they try to use that as a validation. It's like, no, no, that's not what it says at all. That meaning a lot. I don't want to alienate people, but people do that with the Bible too. Both is Islam. Uh, Muslims do it. Christians do it. Jews do it. Everybody does it. Um, but yeah. They yeah. People use the create. thing. And I'm like, I'm like, really? So I'm Jewish, but I have read the New Testament. And that is not the intent of that, you know, of that story. That's not what he meant. And then like the things like my favorite is uh, money is the root of all evil. It's like, and wow, that, you yeah, that's not what he missed said. that passage of the Bible. Right. It says the love of money. And that's only one example of putting an idol or something else yep. before God. And money's one of them. Oh, and then they misinterpret because they don't look at contextual. You got to look at contextual. So it, there's, I think it's, I'm going to misquote it because I'm not, like a Bible thumper, and I don't know, but it's like it is easier for a camel to get through the oh, eye man. of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven. Yep. Guess what? At the time that was written, eye of the needle is is the archway into the above city. the door. Yeah, uh, yeah, either yeah, either city or a large palace or something, and it's pretty big. So uh, guess what? A camel can make it through. It's a little more difficult like you and i can just go hey look we're in we're out and campbell's got to go oh, right side that's a side that's, that's okay i want to get in so that's but, but yeah, yeah, anyway that, that's pretty important because what you're talking about is people create their own realities because yeah. even like if you go back to money is the root of all evil that's not what it says it says right. money is a a root of all kind can be a root of all yeah, kind the love of, of money something though. like that don't and forget then, love of yeah, yeah, for the love of money. Sorry, yeah. that's right. The love of money, not even money itself. The yeah. love of money. It's so, putting an idol before God that exactly. you money over your higher power. Exactly. And that you could replace that with a spouse, a child, oh, yeah. a car. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the whole do. point was, I mean in the same in the same passage, there's like lust. Yep. Um I, I think like the seven deadly sins, even though that was a different book, but that's yeah. kind of it's kind of those things. We create our <laughs> own reality sometimes, and then we take that reality and we just run with it. We don't even listen yeah. to reason. But let's get back to you and your writing. <laughs> that that's what we're gonna get back to. So now, you are a a prolific Thank you writer. For keeping me on a straight line. <laughs> you because I like you to are do a prolific writer, and you like fiction and nonfiction. 
and you can do it all because of the experiences that you've had in life. So now, now, so right now though, aren't you offering writing services to people who may need someone who is yes. a prolific writer? That's gonna, yes, that's gonna be, so creator expression is my life. And right now I'm gonna be focusing on my writing aspect. So, um, when that's all aspects of writing. So I write like Carl Sean Watkins, I did his intro, but the intro is not just video. There's words in it too. And it's all about, I think the words create the flow. I did one for T Gonzalez. So I did that kind of stuff. Intros of podcasts, outros, advertising for podcasts. I also build business models. Um, uh, we never published it, but Dan Rich Sananda has a company and I worked, he created a model and then I, I think I made it better. I'll ask him. And if he believes so, I'll ask him for a testimony to put on my website. And then also just doing copy stuff. So if you have a company that's doing social media, but you don't have people that can do that, I could write blogs for you. I can like add copy for you. I could write scripts for you. Like uh, So one of the funniest things, so I'm doing what's called reactive marketing right now. So I'm looking for people that are posting for freelance copywriters. And I got very far and I blew it myself. Uh, I think it could have had the, I think it could have had the gig, but um, they, it was a year and a laugh. One, I don't have any kids. I mean, I have my dog, but I don't have any kids and uh, I'm not married. And so this company specializes in creating video training for new, new parents or people that are become new parents. Mm -hmm. So they wanted scripts for the videos. And my task was to write for one, eyes are the, um, eyes are the, keys to the soul or something like that or not eyes are the i don't know anyways it gave me a theme yeah it's express and so i wrote this but what i missed in the instructions so anyone who wants to be a professional writer and is going reactive like people that are posting for gigs or you're on any of the services for that read what they want know what the customer wants so the why i blew it is one of the things they said and i totally missed it is there's this app called like hemingway app and there's yeah. other apps like it. And so what that will do is you put your text in there and it'll tell you what grade level um, you've written at. So I wrote at grade level 12 and right in the thing, they wanted level seven. Seven, yeah. The, the and then they gave me the feedback world. and I missed it too. I missed it twice. So the guy actually gave me a chance. He's going, well, you write really well. I think this will relate to our customers, but I think the level of writing is too high. Can you try again? And I thought, I didn't understand that. The way he said it, he didn't say that. He said, it's not at the level of of our clients. And what I heard as, he meant my excellence, my excellence of writing wasn't at the level. So I tried to rewrite it. And then once again, it came out level 12. So there, I totally missed it twice. So they said level seven, writing instructions. And then I missed his feedback again. He goes, not writing at the level of our audience or yeah. And I took that to mean I wasn't writing good enough. Yeah. And that's totally not what he meant. You were writing All I had to do was take my good text, shove it into Hemingway app and rewrite it a little for level seven. And I think I would have that gig. So what I might do, even though it's been a month since I applied to that one. So I might do that Hemingway app and going, sorry, I'm so dense. Here's my level seven. <laughs> But anyways, I now know that and I will pay closer attention. But yeah, so I can do that kind of stuff. Script, writing, articles, reviews, um, all that kind of stuff. Research, I actually, um, pretty good researcher. I mean, the course I taught the most at 
uh, graduate level was research and statistics. So how do people research and how to really analyze the data and take in data? So, so here, here's what we're going to do. We are going to take some of the things you just mentioned. You mentioned you did an intro for Carl Sean Watkins, uh, who is on LinkedIn. You mentioned uh, Ahmed. You mentioned a few people that you've done work for. And I think some of those are actually on your website. So we're going to link to those so that people can see examples of the work. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm I, working I, I, on a writing-only website, too. Yeah. Well, and be I, out and end of next week. I like what you said about... Um, Carl, because I know when you and I were talking, you explained the process. You didn't just shoot a video. You interviewed him to get to know him to try and make the video, as you say, in his voice. Oh, yeah. I I probably should have emphasized that. So one of the things I think I'm good at, and I think it's a natural ability that I've developed through some of my master's degree of practice therapy. I was a practicing licensed practice therapist for three and a half years. I've done a lot of coaching and mentoring. I probably coached and mentored. This is how old I am, but probably over a thousand people in corporate America. And but the, the way to be successful at that is it can't be about you. You have to get to know the person well enough that you can do it from find out their motivation, talk in their voice. So when I write, I get to know you. And although I am the better writer, which is why you're hiring me for my professional writing services, right. I will write in your voice, which is what you want. I will look at your goals, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to establish, who you're trying to connect with, how you're trying to connect with, what is your culture, all that kind of stuff. And I'll write in that voice to your audience. All right. So if, if people want to connect with you so that you can connect with them, so that you can write something to help them connect to their audience, how can they find you? So by the end of the week, or next week, end of next week, I will have Lagrande Pluma. I'll put that in. Ooh, uh, Lagrande Pluma. Lagrande Pluma.com. Oh, I didn't have my glasses on. Hold on. Did I write that correctly? Lagrande Pluma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ta-da. Yeah. And so basically, and I'm learning, like, you, we, we, we still got to do this because we've said we're both trying to learn Spanish well, so we got to get together and practice. But by the end of the year, I want to be fluent in Spanish. And so when I was originally looking for um, this website, I wanted to somehow tie to the quote. One of my favorite quotes about writing is the pen is mightier than the sword. In fact, I just did a post on it. And I said, my headline was the pen is with a capital IS mightier than the sword. And then colon, it just takes more time. So, but so I wanted to get the pen is made in the store, but guess what? Everybody and anybody on writing has had that idea. So all those URLs are taken. So La Gran Pluma is in Spanish. And unfortunately, the word in Spanish for mighty is like 10, 12 characters long. And I didn't want to really. So essentially, this means the mighty pen. But in reality, if you translate directly, it means the grand pen. But for me, it means the money pen. So lagrandpluma.com, it'll be available end of next week. I will have just, you can go to EOC Studios and see samples of my writing now. But for my writing services, Lagrand Pluma will be it by the end of next week. We'll have samples of my videos, samples of my scripts, samples of my models, 
sample of my um, writing, obviously, and then uh, an about page and a way to contact me and sign up for my services. So that should be done available end of next week. Well, all right. I think that this is a perfect place to end it. <laughs> Mark. La Grande Pluma. <laughs> if you need a writer and, and a whole bunch of other things we talked about, like a music artist and all kinds of other stuff. <clears throat> but if you need a writer, Mark is the person to see. Mark, yep. any last words? Marky P at EOCstudios.com. All um, right. No, and we're thank out. You. Thank you. Thank you for this. This is great conversation as usual. And thank you for actually getting to the stuff because I'm really bad at that. So you directing helped me get in that. Here's my dog. My dog, Emma. Hey, Emma, how's it doing? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Corporate Quitters Podcast. If you like us, tell everybody you know. Better yet, head on over to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review. It only takes a few seconds. I can do it with my eyes closed and both hands tied behind my back. So what are you waiting for? If you want to talk to us, leave us a voice message. You might be featured on the show. Check the link in the show notes. Want to carry us wherever you go? Check out the merch on our work website. Get your I quit, old quit, or just plain quit stuff there. If you really, really like us, you can become a monthly contributor for less than a cup of coffee. Link is in the show notes. And last but not least, quit those limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And we're out.